Hello and welcome to the New to Canada podcast, the show that shares honest, real-life stories and insider info from internationals living in Canada. I am your host, Kate Johnson, and I made the big move from England to Canada in 2017 after falling in love with a Canadian. Join me as I chat with fellow newcomers and learn all about where they are from in the world, why they chose Canada as their new home, and the lessons they've learnt along the way. It's great to have you. A lot of you have been reaching out recently asking for more information about how to immigrate to Canada. There are over 65 immigration pathways that are available to individuals seeking to move here. That leaves a lot of room for confusion and uncertainty when considering what the best option is for you. In this episode, I sit down with Josh Shacknell, a Toronto-based immigration lawyer who gives us an easy-to-understand breakdown of the most common pathways. Those are study permits, work permits, permanent residency, business pathways and PNPs. He also offers an honest reality check regarding some of the more difficult pathways available, and we discuss the danger of immigration scams. There is a lot of scamming that goes on specifically around employment in Canada, right? So there's this whole other elephant in the room called shady or illegal service providers. And because there are so many people trying to get jobs in Canada and asking for work permits... There's been people who have been scammed out of thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars by, again, I'm doing uh, quotation marks here, employers in Canada or recruiters in Canada who are totally a sham. And they they say, yeah, give us 5K. We'll start the work permit process. And then you never hear from them again, right? If you're currently looking into the different options available to move to Canada, I highly recommend that you sign up for Josh's free immigration platform, Visto. I wish I had it when I was going through this whole process. All you have to do is create your free account, select Visto Qualify and answer some simple questions about your unique circumstances. The platform will then scan over 65 immigration pathways and suggest the ones that are the most suitable for you. Head to bit.ly forward slash Visto Immigration to sign up free today. That is bit.ly forward slash Visto, V-I-S-T-O, Immigration to sign up free today. And you'll support the podcast by using that link. Best of luck on your immigration journey. Let's start the show. Hi, Josh. It's so good to see you. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time today. My pleasure, Kate. Thanks very much for having me on. Awesome. Yeah, these episodes are always popular. Canadian immigration is a hot topic. So thank you so much for for, offering some of your advice and and expertise with us today. Um, I've been there myself, you know, applying for PR by myself was super stressful and it's full of so many unknowns. And I think the, the toughest part is that every person's situation is is pretty unique, right? So sometimes you have such a specific question that you just don't know the answer to and it can be, yeah, it can be a pretty lonely and frustrating time. So thanks for all the work that you do to, to innovate new ways like your platform Visto to, to make this process a lot easier for us. I wish I had it when I was going through it. No, I, I appreciate the kind words and we're just hoping to help as many people as we can. Yeah, amazing. So tell us a little about your career so far. What what made you decide to be an immigration lawyer? 
Yeah, I totally fell backwards in, into immigration. Most people are, are pretty surprised to hear that I, I never took the course in law school when I went to article in, in Canada, in, in Ontario at least. You have to spend 10 months articling in a law firm when you complete law school and, and pass the bar before you're, you know, deemed a, or crowned a lawyer, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I was mostly doing litigation and didn't really enjoy that kind of law and didn't know what I wanted to do after my articling. And a good friend of mine said, hey, Josh, my dad is an immigration lawyer. He's in the process of retiring and closing his own firm up, but he still wants to kind of, you know, spend a little bit of time working or, or advising someone younger, you know, maybe acting more as a mentor. Would you be interested in working with him? And I'd always been been interested in kind of the entrepreneurial route. I have a BCom. I'm very interested in business. And so I was a little concerned, you know, starting a law firm kind of right out of the gate in, in an area that I'd never studied in before. But it was a really compelling opportunity because my friend and his dad are, you know, really smart and, and good people. And at the time, this was back in 2017, Immigration in Canada was continuing to boom. IRCC was coming out with all these new programs, and it just seemed like a really good industry to get into. So that was four and a half years ago, and here we are. It's just kind of funny how the world works sometimes, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure you're very, very busy. It was a good decision. <laughs> so what's been your most fulfilling part of your career so far? I'm assuming it's such a rewarding industry to be in. You know, you're making people, you know, helping people achieve their dream of, of moving here and starting a new life. So um, probably that in itself. But is there a particular fulfilling moment that, that stands out? Yeah, I mean, you have really, really thankful clients in the immigration right. space. And I didn't realize that until I started working and having happy clients. And then I really didn't appreciate it until I started talking to other friends who are lawyers in other areas, especially more <laughs> adversarial. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you look at areas like family or civil litigation or, you know, some types of corporate, corporate litigation, you know, there's two sides and you win or you lose, right? Mm. In immigration, you're working with, you know, when you're doing application type file work like like I do, you're working with individuals and you're all working towards the same outcome, which is hopefully an approval from Immigration Canada. Mm -hmm. And I've had the privilege of meeting a few of my clients in person here in Toronto after getting, you know, their work permit, their PR, whatever. And they're just so thankful, you know, and, and yeah. it's, I think it's so important as a professional of any kind to kind of stay in touch and, and appreciate those things, right? Because especially when you get busy, it can be very easy to forget about that side of things, right? You get bogged down with emails and paperwork and maybe you have a bad week or stress or whatever. But my favorite emails are the emails where I get to tell my clients that I've received their approval from IRCC. Yes. And they're so happy. And unlike you, I've never been through the process, right? I'm born and raised in Canada, never immigrated in my life. So I don't know what it feels like on the other end. But I do know what it feels like on my end just to see their email reactions or phone reactions or a few of my clients that I've met in person. And they're so thankful. And it makes for a really nice feeling and and just a good area to work in because you're just helping people and 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 making them really happy and in turn you know it's very fulfilling in that regard 
Yeah, I love that because it is so much paperwork and it can be just, you know, black and white in that way, but there's real humans behind it and every family, every person has a story. And um, yeah, you're so right. You know, IRCC with all these amazing pathways and they want people to come and, you know, you want them to come and everyone is working towards the same thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I'll never forget the first approval I ever got for my first client. I remember <laughs> where I was standing. I remember what I was doing. And I legitimately, this is, again, I had never done this work in my life before. And I did the first, you know, it was a work permit application for a client based at a BC and we got the approval and I had tears coming out of my eyes because I was just, number one, more than anything, relieved that it was approved. Right? <laughs> I did not true. want my first application to be rejected because, you know, I don't know, that would have been a really bad start. And I was so relieved and so happy. And they came to me after getting a rejection previously. They tried to apply by themselves, which mm-hmm. has since happened many times. People come to me trying it themselves and not getting the answer they want. And I was so happy. I'll never, I'll never forget that moment. So I guess that's an answer to the question too of, you know, one, one thing that stands out. Yeah, I bet that first time. Yeah, that must have been amazing. Do you remember where they were from or what their story was? I remember everything about them. I can't tell you. You know, it was, it was a company based out of, based out west in Canada and they were sponsoring a, a tech worker from a country in Europe and uh, they let the worker apply on their own and it didn't go through and they came to me for help and I, you know, resubmitted the application and got awesome. the approval and That's was great. dancing for the rest of the day. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> oh, it's only audio. <laughs> Damn it. I wanted those dance moves. <laughs> okay. Fabulous. So, Today's episode, we're going to get down to the very, very, very basics of Canadian immigration. Um, I get a lot of questions from people who are still in that dreaming phase of moving here. And as we know, there are dozens and dozens of different pathways available to make that happen. So let's break down some of the ways that a person could move to Canada to to live, study, work and the different requirements. I feel like that would be so, so valuable as, as a first step for those people. Um, yeah, so let's start off with study permits. Okay, so yeah, so quite a lot of guests I've had on this show have actually come to Canada to pursue an MBA or another qualification in Canada as that good stepping stone to, to moving here long term. So it's obviously a popular choice. It's it's a pretty expensive choice, right? As as tuition fees are pretty high. So let's break down, yeah, study permits a little bit. What are they and who is eligible? Yeah, there, there's a lot to, that we can go into detail there, Kate, because I mean, they are an expensive option. They're also a relatively cheap option if you look at some other countries, right? There's all these factors, right? right? What I've learned over the years is yeah, I can break down the government fees and, you know, go over the document requirements. And, and we will. We'll go through the basics. But there's so many factors to consider, right, when you're thinking about immigrating to Canada. We pick just the study permit, right, is comparing it to different countries, right? Tuition, mm-hmm. yes, international tuition is expensive in Canada. Yes, it's also much cheaper than in the in the U.S., not just because the absolute number is smaller, but because it's Canadian dollars instead of U.S. dollars. So you're, you're saving there as well. But anyways... The study permit, I typically find there are two types of people that are coming through the study permit. Number one is you are genuinely looking to continue your education and you'd like to do it in a different country, a first world country, a North American country, and and you happen to pick Canada, you know, whether it be bachelor's degree, graduate degree, master's, PhD, et cetera, et cetera. The second are people who want to come to Canada and they can't make any of the other options work. 
And so they want to come on a study permit because it makes it easier to get a work permit and ultimately permanent residence in Canada. So there's almost kind of like two buckets there. Now, the key, the two keys to the study permit in Canada are number one, can you get accepted into a college or university in Canada, uh, which really depends on your background, right? How old are you? What were your grades in high school? What were your undergrad grades if you're applying for a postgraduate degree, right? Do you have reference letters if you're applying for a master's or MBA, you know, et et cetera, et cetera. You know, the requirements are different based on the program. They're also different based on the school, right? Are you applying to a college? Are you applying to a university? Uh, the, the other important factor is is kind of financial slash are you is it going to be approved right that's ultimately the question there's two steps you apply to a school or schools and hopefully get accepted then you apply for your study permit and hopefully get accepted the hardest part about the study permit depending on your background is that there is a much more there is a much bigger element of subjectivity to the evaluation by Immigration Canada. And what I mean by that is, if you're applying for a program like Express Entry, which we'll probably get into, it is points-based, right? That is very objective. You have your background, and that means you get this many points, and that means I can pretty well tell you what your chances are. With the study permit, there's a much more subjective element, which is, does the agent believe you're going to come to Canada to actually advance your educational career and then believe that you're going to, and for the, for those listening, leave the country when you're done your program. I'm, I'm doing quotations here because that's their criteria, right? So what one of the biggest reasons that people that I see that people get rejected is the immigration agent thinks that they're not, you know, they don't have strong enough times ties to their home country and they're not going to leave at the end of the program. Now, ironically, right. that's not what 98% of people do anyways. 98% of people graduate and apply for a post-grad work permit and stay in Canada. But that's how the, the laws are written. And I don't like the way they're written, but I don't write them, right? I just help people try to navigate them. So what I would say is if you're in, legitimately interested in studying in Canada or if you really want to come to Canada and, you know, you're probably 30, 35 or below and you can prepare a very strong application and be approved by one of these college or universities for a program. Just make sure you prepare a good application. I have some advice, you know, that applies to any and all applications, right, in terms of preparing it properly, the right documents, filling out the forms. And it's extremely popular. They approved in 2019 over 400,000 study permits. That number almost doubled from 2015. So in five years, less than five years, Immigration Canada has almost doubled the amount of international students that they're letting in, which means it's a very good opportunity. Mm-hmm. And can you touch on the the working element on a study permit? Because obviously you're coming here, you're studying, you do still need to you know, have some income coming in to support your life. Um, there is a, a maximum of 20 hours per week um, that you're allowed to work on a study permit. Um, but I, I believe that if you're accompanied by someone, is it, is it has to be your spouse, that they're eligible for, for a work permit as well? Yeah, so I'm going to preface this by saying always double check your study permit. In most cases, you will be given a condition on your study permit that says you're allowed to work up to 20 hours per week on or off campus while you're studying full time. And then in most cases, you can also work full-time on a scheduled break. So Christmas break, summer break, you can typically work full-time. Again, double-check that this actually this condition actually shows up on your study permit. When you're applying for what are called temporary permits in Canada, so study permit, work permit, 
those kind of permanent, you know, we're not talking about permanent residence or citizenship. In most cases, your spouse or common law partner may be eligible for what's called a spousal open work permit. And this allows your spouse or common law partner, which Immigration Canada defines as someone that you've lived with for 12 months consecutively or more, they can apply for that spousal open work permit, which is an open work permit. It allows them to come to Canada with you, work for any company they want full time. So that's pretty great, right? Because uh, number one, you can work up to 20 hours per week while you're studying full time, you know, to help pay the bills. And if you have a spouse or common law partner, they can come and work full time. Now, another way I see some people use the study permit, right? So let's say you're whatever, tech worker, doctor, lawyer, marketing manager, whatever. You want to come work in Canada. The only way you're going to come on a work permit is likely if you find a job, which can be very hard to do from outside of the country. So one way around that is if you have a spouse or common law partner who's willing to go study in Canada, they can apply for a study permit. You can then apply for a spousal open work permit. So that's another kind of like quasi, you know, way to get in on a work permit if you don't want to study, especially if you have a spouse who's willing to. Amazing. Yeah, that's great. Um, And then this year, most recently, there was... um uh, an announcement about international students and PR. There were, there were spots for PR, right, that opened up this year? Yeah, so COVID's thrown a, a lot of what we're going to talk about for a bit of a loop. But <laughs> the really cool thing is that Immigration Canada, especially in regards to international students, has really made a lot of exceptions and exemptions to kind of make everything a lot easier, especially for those who haven't been able to travel here. We could do a whole episode on COVID exemptions and exceptions, so maybe we won't go down that rabbit hole right now. But basically what Immigration Canada did a couple months ago was said, listen, we're not allowing new permanent residents to travel into the country right now, and we have a heck of a lot of international students or recent international grads in the country. So they actually launched a new permanent residence program. It's called the TR to Temporary Resident to Permanent Resident Program that allowed those who had recently graduated from a Canadian college or university or that have one year or more of a certain kind of work experience the eligibility to apply straight for permanent residence, which was, uh, well, I mean, good and bad. Good for those inside Canada, harder for people, you know, outside of Canada. And it created an incredible opportunity for those inside Canada that may have had to wait longer or may have been struggling with eligibility for PR otherwise. Wow, that's awesome. And the deadline for that is what, the fall? It's just, it depends, first come, first serve. It's more complicated than that. The deadline is November 7th, but it's broken down into three programs, each with a different cap. So for example, mm-hmm. there one of the three streams is for international graduates, and there were 40,000 spots for that. That cap was met within the first week, so you, you can't apply through yeah. that stream. The other two streams are for uh, healthcare workers and non-healthcare essential workers, and those two streams are still open. So it's the sooner of them hitting the cap or... November 7th, I believe, is the deadline. Okay. Wow, awesome. Thank you. Um, So next up, we have work permits. Now, this is what I chose to do, personally. I I luckily checked off all the boxes for the International Experience Canada program, the IEC, which is a two-year work permit for a select number of countries for those aged 18 to 30. So do check that out as well. Um, I then used those two years of, of work experience, building that Canadian work experience, and eventually applied for my permanent residency. So that worked out really well for me. Um, 
what other types of, of work permits are, are available? I'm sure there's many, but uh, run through some of the, the, the main ones. Yeah, so work permits can be tough. If you're not coming from a country that's eligible through IEC, work permits can be very difficult to get unless, again, a program like IEC, spouse or common law partner for the spousal open work permit. Other than that, the majority of work permits are going to fall under what are called closed work permits, which means effectively you're getting sponsored by a company. So there's a company within Canada, they're offering you a job in one way or another, and that is making you eligible to apply for a closed work permit, which means you can only work in Canada for that company. And the reason for this is because Canada wants to protect its labor force, right? It wants to make sure that, you know, companies aren't bringing in a million waiters when we have enough waiters, right? Uh, so that's why that kind of extra step is built in to kind of monitor and, and protect the, the Canadian labor force. The problem with getting a work permit other than an IEC or a spousal open work permit is that unless, and I, I get asked every day about how to get a work permit in Canada, every single day, cross platforms, <laughs> right? Yeah. The reality is that unless you're working in an extremely high demand industry in Canada where the employers are actually willing to sponsor you, there's a very low chance you're going to get a work permit. Not to sound like a negative Nancy, just trying to paint a clear picture. And so what I typically tell people is this, and this is you know a little bit affected because of COVID. If you're not working in tech, if you're not working in healthcare, if you're not working in ironically, long-haul trucking is very much in demand. If you're not working in farming, there's a very, very, very low chance you're going to come to Canada on a closed work permit. We have guides in the Visto portal, selfish plug, but you know we get asked this all the time, and so we put together a, an extensive guide on how to try and find a job in Canada, including how to determine if your industry is actually even in demand, right? Because like if you're I'm just going to throw kind of like general titles out there, right? If you're a sale, if you're working in sales, if you're working in marketing, if you're working in operations, if you're working in finance, you're probably not getting a work permit in Canada, right? It's not impossible. It happens, but it's going to be very, very, very difficult. And it almost might be better to look into other options. So it's kind of tough. It depends on your industry, depends on your background, depends on, you know, do you have connections or not? But on average, very, very difficult to get a work permit in Canada, depending on your industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I guess it comes down to the fact that they would have to prove that a Canadian couldn't do that role, right? Is that is that so? Yes, but even one step before then, that they even want to go through that whole process, right? If you're a Canadian yeah. company and you're hiring, I don't know, a retail manager, why would you even want to go through the process of trying to prove? that you can't find someone in Canada and then actually pay for the immigration paperwork and then wait for your application to be approved when you can go hire someone who's already in Canada and they can start tomorrow, right? So th there's yeah. two aspects. The first one being, does the company even have the time and patience and money to want to go through the immigration process? And then number two, can they, depending on the type of work permit, can they prove that they can't hire somebody in Canada already? And I say that because in certain industries you don't you're, you're exempt from the recruitment requirement, but in many you're not. So mm -hmm. as you said, to have to go through that is uh, companies just don't want to to begin with, and then they actually have to prove it to uh, the ESDC in, in this case, Employment and Social Development Canada. 
Yeah. And so if you are, you know, in long haul trucking or one of those other the roles that you mentioned, what what can you do? Is that you have to verify that that is actually a job title that you could go down this route? And I guess it's just all on the website or, or reaching out to a, a Well, a you, you, you got to try and find a job. Right. So so you need to get a job offer from a company. So the best thing that you could, and this is what I tell people again every day, and it's in our guides and we go into way more detail. I'm kind of glossing over it, but mm-hmm. see if you could even get an interview. You know, go on LinkedIn, go on Indeed, go on Hired, go on, you know, all the popular, you know, look up companies you think you'd be really interested in working for or that you would, your experience would be a very good fit for and see if they have job postings that you're qualified for and see if they mention in the job postings that they're willing to sponsor. And I think a lot of people will realize that there are very few companies that are willing to sponsor and, yeah. and they learn the hard way. Unfortunately, I wish I had a better answer that it's, very, very difficult, if not impossible, depending on your industry, to to get that job offer in Canada. Like I've I've done you know hundreds of consultations at this point, many of which I've said to the person, "Listen, it's your life, right? You do whatever you want. It's not worth your time trying to find a job in Canada because I don't think you're ever going to find one, right? No matter how many hours. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, I think it's my job to give people." the clearest information so that they can make the best decision for themselves. And for some people, I think it's not even worth trying, but for some people it is. So, you know, I, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to scare everybody away from that option. Yeah. And as, as we're going to go through, there's other options as well. So it's just kind of treasuring your time and your money and your effort. So there's, there's probably other pathways that are much higher success rate that you could, you could explore. So I totally get it. Well, well, the other, the other problem too, Kate, is like there is a lot of scamming that goes on specifically around employment in Canada, right? So there's this whole other elephant in the room called shady or illegal service providers. And because there are so many people trying to get jobs in Canada and asking for work permits, there's been people who have been scammed out of thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars by, again, I'm doing uh, quotation marks here, employers in Canada or recruiters in Canada who are totally a sham. And they they say, yeah, give us 5K. We'll start the work permit process. And then you never hear from them again, right? Uh, so that's the other reason why, like, people need to be realistic. They also need to be very careful. There's so much shady activity going on mm-hmm. that that's an easy way to get scammed is by having people promise you a job and then ask you for money for it. And then they'll run you around for months or years and you'll never you'll never get anything out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those cases, like if it's too good to be true, it most definitely probably is, you know, if they're Mm -hmm. offering you a job. And I mean, look at look it up in the news. I I remember reading an article a few months ago. There was a company. It was a full blown operation, right? They had recruiters, multiple levels of recruiters, multiple interviews. They would put you through, you know, forge documentation. And I can't even like... It doesn't even surprise me that they were able to scam so many people because it was so intricate what their process yeah, would like. They did a good job. Exactly. Yeah. So you really need to be very, very careful. Mm-hmm. 
no, I'm so happy that that came up. That's really important. Um, so I do have a question kind of related to that. So someone actually asked on, on Instagram, what is the difference between an immigration lawyer and an immigration consultant? Because, you know, they could be talking to a consultant. They don't know whether that's trustworthy or what the difference is there. Could you offer some clarity on that? Yeah, it's a really good question. I get asked this a lot as well. And the big difference is in the education in what it takes to get licensed. So both, if you're going to do immigration with any professional, make sure they are either a registered lawyer or consultant. Those are the only two that you can really work with that can charge you money for services. That's especially why you should be careful with recruiters. Recruiters are not licensed Mm -hmm. to charge you for immigration services. So be very careful. Um, The differences are in the training. So for example, to become a lawyer in Ontario, I had to complete a bachelor's degree three, four years. I had to get write the LSAT exam. I had to get accepted into a law school. I had to complete law school. That was another three years. I had to pass the bar exam, about two very fun months of studying and 14 hours of examination, 10 months of articling at a firm. And then I got called to the bar, right? And, and, and became a lawyer, right? So what's that? Mm-hmm. Eight years, eight, nine years. Mm-hmm. Until last year, to become an immigration consultant, you had to pass an English exam, take a six-plus-month course, and then finish their ICCRC exam, right? Like, I think it was like a one-day exam. Mm -hmm. So there's a bit of a difference there. Now, I'm going to say, I know many really good consultants, and I know many really bad lawyers. Right. I also know a lot of really bad consultants and a lot of really good lawyers. So what's the difference? The difference is in the training. I would say... On average, an immigration lawyer is probably going to be a bit better than than an immigration consultant because they've spent a lot more time learning about the law, right? The law in general and and, and how to navigate complex legal systems like immigration. You're also probably going to pay a little bit more too, right? So like... Every grass is always greener, right? Everything's got its ups and its downs. I would say here's what's most important. Number one, make sure that no matter who you're working with, you make sure they're registered. So for example, as a, as a lawyer in good standing with the Law Society of Ontario, you can go on the Law Society of Ontario website, type in my name, and you will see that I am good, in good standing with the Law Society of Ontario. If you are going to work with a consultant, you can go onto the ICCRC website. They have a directory and type in the person's name and you can confirm whether or not they're in good standing as an RCIC. So you should absolutely do that, number one. The second thing is do your due diligence, right? Just because they're registered doesn't mean they're good at what they do. So talk to previous clients, you know, like probably work with someone through a referral. That's how most of us get our business to begin with. But Get a referral from someone who's worked with someone and gotten an, a, a good result and ask them, you know, what was it like working with them? What were their communication skills like, right? When you're working on an immigration application with someone, it is a long process, right? Not only just to prepare it, but then to submit it and wait for a response. So communication is very, very, very important in this industry and is something that you should check on through referrals or or previous clients. Because if you're going to have someone that's slow, it's going to take you 10 times longer to just prepare and submit the application. And then if they're not good at communicating and getting back to you, 
who knows how quickly they're going to update you if immigration comes back and asks for documents or has an update or who knows what, right? So you want someone who's smart, diligent, who's good at what they do, has good communication skills. And uh, awesome. yeah. Yes. No, fantastic. And I think the two main things out of that is that you get what you pay for. So you have a budget, I'm sure, and just kind of acknowledge that. And then, yeah, referrals and reviews and, and talk to, to people that have been through it already. Those that, That's great advice. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So next we have uh, permanent residency. So obviously... I think that I just love that idea. Obviously, I went straight in and I got the work permit first and then I applied for PR. So just to get PR and cut out that first step sounds amazing to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Obviously, however, there are probably more challenges if you are applying for PR, you know, straight out of the gate overseas. Right. So um, we did do an episode in season one on one particular route to permanent residency, which is by far the most popular, the express entry. Um, so if you are listening and you're looking to do that, definitely check out that episode. We go into it in, you know, the full hour. It's, it's much more in depth. So we'll definitely still, uh, say the basics on that one. And then, and then what other ways are there for someone to, to apply for PR from, from their native country? Yeah. It's, it's very popular for good reason. I mean, a lot of the other ones require some sort of other connection or family sponsorship, something like that. Mm-hmm. When it comes to express entry, as I mentioned earlier, it's a points-based program, and so it's going to be very, very dependent on your profile. Right. right. How old are you? How much work experience? What's your highest level of education? Et cetera, et cetera. I mean, our platform breaks down how to go through it step by step because you, you need to do a few things to figure out your score, make sure you're eligible, create your profile, hopefully get the invitation to apply, ba ba da ba ba ba. But basically what it comes down to is Immigration Canada said about six years ago, listen, we're, you know, there's no organization to this PR process. Let's make it more transparent so people can figure out what their chances are and let's prioritize certain types of people and get them to apply quicker. So it's a two step process, right? You got to see if you're eligible and create your profile. They give you a score, step number one. And then every two weeks they do an invitation to apply. And if you have a high enough score and you meet the threshold, they invite you to apply, you collect your documents and you, and you submit it. So from a 30,000 foot view, it's actually quite simple, right? But as you know, probably Kate, when you get into the nuts and bolts, it's, it can be a little bit tricky, a little bit confusing to navigate uh, each of those uh, steps because there's a lot, a lot more that goes into it. Now, one thing I want to mention is it's June 14th right now, 2021. And Immigration Canada for the last six and a half months hasn't invited people from outside of the country to apply for express entry. So one note that we can make that probably wasn't mentioned on on the last episode, depending on what data was recorded, is right now, if you're outside Canada, you're going to have a very, you know, for the next few months, you might not even be able to get an invitation to apply. There's people who've been waiting now for, you know, year and a half plus because they've kind of stopped inviting people from from outside of the country. So you're going to want to keep that in mind. I do think, especially with the mention of uh, reduced travel restrictions coming up in the next month or so, I do think that IRCC will hopefully go back to inviting people from around the world again sooner rather than later. I can't tell you when, but hopefully within the next few months, express entry kind of goes back to normal. And then what I would say is for those of you who are in your 20s or early 30s, and who have a graduate degree, so something more than a bachelor's degree, something like a master's, a PhD, uh, law degree, medicine, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Express entry could be a very good opportunity. 
If you don't, it's going to be very hard just because of the score requirements, but a lot has changed in the last year. A lot could continue to change in the year ahead. So, you know, keep an eye on it, do your due diligence, uh, leverage our platform that will help you get started and, and see if it's right for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what tips do you have, I guess, to to get as many points as possible and, and have that really appealing profile from abor- abroad? Because it, it's easier if you have you know, a job offer from a Canadian company still, or does it not matter? Do your, does your international experience still, still give you the points that it would if it was a Canadian company? How, how does it work? Yeah. So the reality is you can only improve your score so much because some of it is based on things you can't change, right? You can't change your age. You can get more years of experience, but that might take you a year or more, (laughs) depending on how many years, you know, you need to kind of boost your points up. So that's why I say, I mean, listen, the easiest way to increase your score is your language exam. So to create your profile, you're going to need to write a language exam in French or English, either the IELTS or CELPIP if you're writing in English, or the TEF or the TCF if you're writing in French. If you can write in French, you can get bonus points. So I highly recommend doing that in French if you can. Uh, But other than that, I mean, the only other things that you can do to increase your score are going to take you some time, right? So getting additional years of work experience. If you don't have a, a, a postgrad degree, getting a postgrad degree, right? The reality is if you're 25 and you have a few years of work experience and just a bachelor's degree, you're going to have a very, very hard time coming through express entry anytime soon. If you have a postgrad degree and can score well on a language exam, you could have a much, much better chance. Mm-hmm. Job offer absolutely helps. The thing is, typically, you know, you need an LMIA supported or an LMIA exempt job offer, which basically means you can get a work permit too, right? So it, it's right. very odd, you know, very rare that that kind of 50 points kind of makes or breaks because usually that person just has the work permit anyways and, and they come to Canada. So mm-hmm. I would say, you know, do some due diligence. See, see if you might fall under that profile that have, that will have a good enough chance. But the reality is some people won't right? You lose points every year above the age of 29. So people who, especially if you don't have a graduate degree, once you get into your mid thirties, very, very, very difficult, very difficult. Mm -hmm. So just, you know, again, don't want to sound like a negative Nancy, but on the other end of the spectrum, there's a lot of people who've charged people a lot of money selling them dreams of, oh, express entry, oh, you know, da, da, da. And what we try to do is paint the clear picture of, hey, these are your realistic options. These ones are not. Yeah. So don't waste your time and money on those. Start thinking more about this. Yeah, that's definitely way more valuable. I know it's nice to hear all the dreamy stuff, but yeah, you definitely need reality for this kind of stuff. So yeah, I like it. Super refreshing. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so next we have uh, business pathways. Now, I know absolutely nothing about this one. So dive right in. <laughs> what are we looking at with this option? Yeah, and, and, and these are the first three we talked about are way more popular. Right. I mean, 2019, we looked at over 400,000 study permits, I think over two or 300,000 work permits, 110,000 express entry applicants. When you, when you get into the nitty gritty of things like PNPs or things like business, you know, or entrepreneurial programs, we're talking about a much smaller subset of, of individuals. I don't know the exact demographics of your audience, but basically when it comes down to business programs, there's a few options. Uh, so probably the most popular that we see are kind of like the business slash investor PNPs that I can talk about, as well as the startup visa is another one, as well as what's called the intra-company transfer uh, work permit. So maybe I'll just give a quick kind of blurb of each. Um, the first option, if you, I'm, I'm just going to say it, if you're wealthy, then 
and you have some business experience, there are some really interesting opportunities around entrepreneurial or investor PNP programs, which are basically run by particular provinces across Canada. And on average, what they say is, again, a little bit different per province, but on average, what they say is, listen, if you can prove that you're worth this amount of money and you're willing to invest that amount of money to start or buy a business in our province, we'll give you PR. And there's more to it. You know, it's not as right. simple as that. But basically, you know, if I look at the average, and I know this because I've looked into every PNP, anywhere from like, if you can prove a net worth of four to 600,000 Canadian, and you're willing to invest somewhere between like 150 and 300,000 Canadian into buying or opening a business in Canada, then you know, entrepreneurial or, or investor PNPs could be a really good option for you. Again, the average person does not meet those requirements, so it doesn't come up as much. But hey, maybe you do or your family member does, and, and, and it's worth looking more into. So that's option number one. The second option is the startup visa, which is basically another PR program for those who are tech co-founders. So if you have started a company abroad, you want to move it into Canada, or you want to start it in Canada... And then that could be an option for you. The biggest factor of being successful through the startup visa is getting what's called a letter of support, which basically means you need a letter from a designated entity in Canada, which is either a specific type of incubator or a specific type of venture or angel group for a certain amount of, of an investment. If you can get a letter of support from them, then there's a chance that you can apply and, and get your permanent residence. So that's got a little bit more of a, we'll call it bureaucratic aspect to it, right? Because you need to go to these specific designated entities and either get into the incubator or get, you know, get funding, which can be easy. It, you know, if, I mean, if you're, if you're working on a startup overseas and you're doing three million a year in revenue, it could be very easy, right? If you're starting out, you're not making any money. You just have an idea, you know, it might be near impossible. So it kind of depends there. The last option is called an intracompany transfer. And an intracompany transfer is a type of work permit that says if you've been working for a company outside of Canada and you can prove a connection to an, an entity with it inside Canada, you can apply for a work permit and transfer to the Canadian entity. So, an you know, a common example is we're a U.S. company and we're opening a sus subsidiary in Canada. And we have a few employees. They've been working with us for a year or more. We want to move them into the Canadian office. Bada bing, bada boom. The other thing that I've seen is, you know, you're an entrepreneur over anywhere, right? Brazil, anywhere, US, Brazil, India, and you want to open a Canadian branch. And so you open a Canadian branch and, and apply for an intracompany transfer to move yourself and or other employees into Canada. So there's, you know, options like that. There, there's a few more kind of like based on treaties and stuff like that. Uh, again, mostly very much dependent on your situation, on your nationality, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of, again, kind of like the 30,000-foot view. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So, yeah, you obviously mentioned the the PNPs. So that was the last one we were going to dive into. That's the Provincial Nominee Programs, which um, 
Yeah, you mentioned it's a particular province or territory in Canada that has those specific economic or labour market needs. So I'm guessing these constantly change, or, or do they are they kind of remain the not, same? Not or? constantly. Yeah. So basically, one example of a PNP is what we just discussed, right? Like an entrepreneurial or or an investor PNP. But most provinces have multiple PNP, they're typically called streams, right? So e- each province or territory will actually have multiple PNPs and they're, they're different streams. So the most popular ones are investor stream, right? As we just talked about. International student stream. Okay, you've graduated from a school in our province, apply for our PNP, right? Uh, skilled worker stream, where typically that what's required is X amount of work experience in that province or... X amount of work experience in a certain occupation that that province is really trying to, you know, attract. The the streams themselves don't change a ton. Sometimes the requirements within the streams will most often change more often than the streams themselves, right? So, for example, a skilled worker stream in Ontario might target tech workers one month and then financial advisors the next month and et cetera, et cetera, as the needs of that economy, you know, changes. Wow. Yeah. And is there a place where we can be kept up to date with those kind of things? I guess just the the IRCC website or? Well, IRCC, you won't find much because they'll send you to the specific provincial provinces website, right? So right. so the best way to stay up to date is to check the particular province, you know, the government websites. Uh, you can follow kind of like, you know, your favorite news places uh, around immigration that will report on any major changes. Like, for example, we send an email every Friday and we typically report on any major PNP updates or changes or things like that. We also have a tool called Visto Qualify that will run your eligibility across 60 plus PNPs around the country because there's a ton of them and they are changing and there isn't really one tool that you can find that will run your eligibility across all of them. And so we built it. And, and that's why I tend to know a lot about, uh, you know, about these specific requirements, because it required us to go through every single program and, and map out the requirements. So that was a fun week or two. <laughs> yeah, that is just absolutely fantastic, that tool. So um, yeah, definitely check that out. It is, um, it's completely free as well. I want to say that. So do, do sign up for that. It's free, um, at Visto. I actually have a link. It's bit.ly forward slash Visto immigration. So that's bit.ly forward slash Visto with a V, V-I-S-T-O immigration. Um, and you can take that Visto qualify, uh, test quiz and they'll give you, um, kind of, they'll suggest the best pathways for you. So fantastic. So, so great. I wish I had that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much again for this. It's it's just great to to cover the basics and just remind ourselves to to take gradual steps and and research well and explore all your options and and most importantly, you know, don't give up. As you can see from this episode, there are a lot of options out there available to those dreaming of moving here and and I hope it works out for you listening and and if it does, you can I can interview you one day on the show and you can share all about your new life here in Canada with us. So, um as always, you can reach out to myself on Instagram at the newcomer collective or do um hit up that visto website bit.ly forward slash Visto Immigration. Thank you so much, Josh. Thanks for having me, Kate. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so, so much for listening. 
As always, it would mean the world to us if you could leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. And then if you're loving the show so far, recommend us to your friends. Spread word and help us grow this exciting community. Until next week. Bye.